Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 7, Origin Myths, Part 1. Welcome back, everyone. Before we begin, I just want to thank all of you for listening and remind you that the main way that word spreads about this podcast is you. Make sure you tell a friend about the show, let them know all the interesting information you've learned about the Moche or the Nazca, tell them about the rivalry between Tiwanaku and the Wari. Direct them to our Facebook page, A History of the Inca, or send them to our Twitter, at Inca Podcast. Even better, send them to the website, where they can find pictures, the story maps, and of course, our bibliography. Thank you all for doing that, and for making this podcast grow. Now then, on with the show. In episode 2, we got acquainted with a landscape that is the Andes, covering much of the western side of South America and home to some of the most extreme environments in the world. In episodes 3 through 6, we discussed four cultures and states that existed prior to the Inca, namely the Moche, Nazca, Tiwanaku, and Wari. These cultures are arguably the most recognizable cultures other than the Inca themselves, and they are the ones you may have already heard of. Covering these precursors allowed us to get an idea of how people carved out a living in the Andes. More importantly, it also laid the groundwork necessary for the main subject of our narrative, the Inca. With this foundation laid, we will be able to refer back to these earlier cultures and see similarities between them and the Inca. However, it is important to know that the precursors that I covered are but a few of the many cultures and states that ruled areas of the Andes. Chavin, Corral, Chimu, and the Amaira kingdoms are a few other examples of cultures and states that were also precursors, and in the Chimu case, a contemporary of the Inca. I will be covering the Chimu in a future episode, but if you would like to learn more about these other groups, as you should, because they are fascinating, you will have to investigate them on your own. You see, if I were to cover all of the groups in the Andes that existed prior to the Inca, it could easily be a dozen more episodes before we even get to the main subject of this podcast. As much as these other groups are important to Andean culture, I'm afraid we must move forward. And we will do that today by exploring the origin myths of the Inca. Alone stood the bearded man, white and glowing. In his hands he grasped his staff tightly. The world was dark and desolate, devoid of life. The man had created the earth this way, making something when before there was nothing. The man then looked upon the stones of the earth and molded them into figures similar to himself, but of various sizes. He gave these beings life and sent them about. The man observed his creations for a time before deciding upon the size he thought was best. Upon making his decision, he destroyed some of his creations and froze others in their place. The man then molded humans as we see them today. He formed and sculpted many of these beings and sent them into the earth to appear at different places in the world. However, the man kept two to act as his servants and to help him with his work. As the humans traveled below the ground, the man 
Barakocha, creator of all things, turned to the great lake known to us as Titicaca. From an island in the middle of the lake, Barakocha formed the sun and the sun's wife, the moon. Barakocha then ordered the two to rise into the sky. Upon seeing his wife shine brighter than he, the sun grew jealous and cast ashes upon her face, hence why the brilliance of the moon is dimmed to this day. Returning to the people who were sent by Barakocha to travel below the earth, they began to exit from their travels. They emerged from the bases of trees, from lakes and streams, from caves and mountains. Even today, some of these places of origin are called Pacarina. With a people exiting the earth, Viracocha and his two assistants, called Imayana Viracocha and Tokapu Viracocha, began to travel north to name the people and animals. Imayana Viracocha took the eastern slopes of the mountains, naming the people and plants and animals as he went. Tokapu Viracocha traveled along the coast, also naming the people, plants, and animals as he went along. Viracocha took the middle route, traversing the high mountains he had created. As Viracocha came to the province of Kacha, disguised as a beggar, he was approached by the people who would later be called the Kana. They cursed at the beggar and hurled stones at him. That is when fireballs rained down from the sky onto a nearby hill. Baffled and frightened, the Kana retreated, but Viracocha revealed himself and, staff in hand, halted the bombardment. Peering at the scorched hillside and back at the bearded, glowing figure, the Kano soon realized that they were in the presence of the Creator. They began to worship Viracocha as he walked graciously past the Kana and continued on his trek along the mountain range. The Kana would celebrate their encounter with the Creator, building a temple in his honor and creating a statue in his image. The Creator then came to a place called Cuzco and called out the Alcavisas who would become the local inhabitants of the valley. Onward, Viracocha continued on his journey until he reunited with Imayana Viracocha and Tukapu Viracocha in the north. The three of them then traveled to where the land meets the sea. Here, Viracocha transformed his cloak into a boat. Imayana Viracocha and Tukapu Viracocha both boarded. Viracocha, though, turning back, towards the mountains, called on one final group to emerge from the earth, the Inca. The creator then joined his two assistants and sailed away towards the sun, never to return. High in the Andes, three caves opened up and from them emerged eight individuals, four brothers and four sisters. They came forth from the caves in pairs. The first, Ayur Manco and Mama Oklo. The second, Ayur Aka and Mama Huaco. The third, Ayur Kachi and Mama Kora. And finally, Ayur Uchu and Mama Rawa. Their tunics were of dyed wool with intricate designs embroidered in them. Their ears were pierced with spools of gold. They wore mantles and carried goods of gold and silver in their arms. Ayarmanco held a golden scepter in his hands, and he had the orders of Viracocha himself to not settle a single spot until that scepter sank into the earth, for that meant the earth would be fertile, 
and suitable for cultivation and settlement. The eight of them set out from the caves, now called Pakarik Tambo, in search of fertile land to settle. Along the way, Mama Oklo became pregnant with the child of Ayur Manko and bore him a son at Wana Kancha. They celebrated the birth with a feast before moving on with their journey, as the land they attempted to sow turned out to be infertile. It should be said that the eight siblings were not ordinary beings, but harbored great powers. Ayurkachi was so great with his sling that with a stone he could split hills and fling the remains up into the sky, filling ravines with the remnants. With four shots, he divided the world into four parts. Antisuyu, to the east. Kondasuyu, to the west. The south was named Koyasuyu, and the north Chinchasuyu. By being so powerful and fierce, Ayurkachi was feared by all of his siblings. Thus, they devised a plan to be rid of him. The seven other Inca told Ayurkachi that they had forgotten some gold vases and seeds and the Napa, which is a golden llama figure, at Pakarik Tambo and asked if he would go inside the caves and fetch them. At first, Ayurkachi refused, but Mama Wako berated him shaming him for being so strong and yet so cowardly for not doing what he was ordered. Shamed by his sister and wife, Ayurkachi went back to fetch the items, but as soon as he entered the caves, his siblings shut him within. He remained there until his death. Glad that Ayurkachi was no longer a threat, but nonetheless saddened by what they had done, the group set out for a second time from Pakarik Tambo in search of fertile ground. It was at the hill, Wanakari, where the group of the Incas saw a rainbow in the valley before them. They took this to be a good omen and trekked towards it. Near one end, a huaca in the shape of a man was spotted on the hillside of Wanakari. They determined to capture it, and Ayur Uchu went over to it and perched himself upon it. However, when he attempted to get off of the waka, he found that his feet had turned to stone and that he was now attached to the waka. Slowly, Ayur Uchu and the waka became one. As his brothers and sisters looked on in horror, Ayur Uchu called out to them, asking them to honor him and venerate him in their future festivals and ceremonies. And with that, he became stone and the waka, known today as Wanakari. Grief filled the remaining Inca as they journeyed into the valley. Once there, Ayurmanku threw the golden scepter and drove it into the ground so deep it was impossible to recover. It was on this land that they made huts to live in for some time. A year after giving birth to him, they named the young child of Ayurmanku and Mama Oklo. He was named Sinchiroka. In addition to this, Ayurmanku was declared the leader of the group and had his name changed to Manco Kapak. Kapak translates to rich, not necessarily in the monetary sense though, as it could mean rich in intellect or strength. After a while, the group moved up the valley and encountered several local groups, including the Huales and aforementioned Alcavisas. These were not friendly encounters though, and the Inca found themselves fighting for the fertile land in the valley. 
Despite their smaller numbers, the Inca were able to overcome the two groups and expel them. It was in this way that the Inca came upon the site of Cusco, which would become their home. Though semi-divine beings, age eventually caught up to Manco Capac, and he passed away after the Inca had been in Cusco for many years. Sinchi Roca took his father's place as leader of the Inca. Despite Sinchi, meaning chief, which was the title given to a leader in the Andes who tended to be warlike, Sinchi Roca appears to have maintained peace with many of his neighbors. He married a woman from one of the neighboring groups named Mama Coca. The oldest son, Loke Yumpanki, was named the heir of Sinchi Roca and ascended the role of ruler once his father died. Loke Yupanqui didn't seem to expand the borders of his growing state very much, but it is said that he followed in the footsteps of his father in keeping good relations with other groups bordering his. Not that he didn't have his detractors, for it is also said that some considered him a coward for not going to war when he should have. He married late in his life, but was still able to produce an heir named Maita Kapak. When Loke Yupanqui died, the surrounding groups mourned him, as he was so beloved by all. Since his father died when he was still a young child, Maita Kapak was raised primarily by his two great uncles, both of whom were generals. Due to this, Maita Kapak is said to have been an aggressive military leader. However, he was also aggressive in general. One tale about Maita Kapak claims that he declared war on a neighboring tribe, for insulting a woman of Cusco. Despite his hostility, he did marry a woman from Coaguas, and they had a son named Capac Yupanqui, who would come to rule after his father's death. There are some that suggest Capac Yupanqui was not the oldest brother, but was determined to be the best qualified to follow in his father's footsteps, and wear the Mascapayacha which is the fringe band that Inca rulers would wear. It has been said that his oldest brother was actually moved into the priesthood in Cusco so that Capac Yupanqui could rule instead. By the time of his reign, the Inca seemed to have had a firm control of the Cusco Valley, so Capac Yupanqui is credited as the first of the Inca to march an army outside of the valley on campaign. He marched into Condesuyu, the area to the west of Cusco. Groups in that region had actually wanted to invade and conquer the Inca, but were repulsed by Capac Yupanqui's army. The Inca pursued the would-be conquerors into their own lands. Here the enemy was forced to lay down their weapons. The conquering continued for Capac Yupanqui as he conquered the province of Cuyo. He married a beautiful woman from a neighboring group named Cori Iyapachacua which means golden jewel. It was common for the Inca emperor to have multiple wives, keeping one as his primary wife. Any male children born by the primary wife would be the ones considered to secede the emperor. However, this meant that there were plenty of wives and concubines upset that their son wouldn't be the one to don the fringe. Capacupanqui was no different, as he had several wives and concubines, one of the concubines, likely upset that her son was not named the heir, killed Capacupanqui as well as his designated heir. 
What would ensue would be a succession crisis that would see a new dynasty rise to power. Kapakupanki was the last of what has been called the Hurin dynasty, or the Lower Cusco dynasty. As AUs were subdivided into upper and lower divisions called Moetes, so too were the Inca. The Inca were divided into what has been dubbed Upper Cusco and Lower Cusco. In AUs, the upper division or Moeti would be in charge and make decisions for the whole AU. However, people have insisted that the two halves were considered equals. Why is it then that the lower Moeti was in charge? While there does not seem to be a clear answer on this, it could be that once the new dynasty was in power, they were able to demote the previous Moeti to the lower level. As we will discuss in the future, there is much about the early reigns of the Inca that are unclear, and the changing of these dynasties is one but many of the mysteries still unsolved. Out of this succession crisis caused by Capac Yupanqui's murder, arose Inca Roca. A son of Capac Yupanqui, Inca Roca is considered the first of the Hanan dynasty, or Upper Cusco dynasty. Like his father, Inca Roca would become a great general. His first campaign led him south into the land called Suyu. There he would subjugate the entire valley of Moina. After his victory, Inca Roca returned to Cusco in triumph. Years later, though, he decided to march west to see what he could conquer in Condesuyu. Inside Condesuyu lies a region we recently visited when we discussed the Wari, Ayacucho. After the fall of the Wari, a new group had arisen to inhabit the area called the Chanka. The Chanka were a fierce nation, and many of the young men looked forward to fighting the Inca army as they approached. Inca Roca sent envoys ahead to treat with the leaders of the Chanka. These envoys explained the culture and customs of the Inca, and the leaders of the Chanka were won over. Despite the protests of the young men, the Chanka gave concessions to the Inca. Remember the Chanka, though, for they will return to our narrative shortly. We will now turn to the young heir of Inca Roca, a son called Titu Kuzi Hualpa. A group called the Ayamarcas were able to kidnap the young heir when he was still a child. Titu Kuzi Hualpa was taken to the leader of the Ayamarcas, Toke Kapak, who received the prisoner with great joy, for he despised the Inca. Yet, when the young heir sat before Toke Kapak, tears of blood flowed down his cheeks. Alarmed by what he saw, the Ayamarcas called Titu Kuzi Hualpa, Yawa Wakak, the Weeper of Blood. Believing that the Inca era was cursed, Toke Kapak dared not put him to death, as was the original plan, for he feared that the curse would pass on to him. Instead, he ordered the boy be taken away and made to live with the shepherds to conceal him from the Inca. Meanwhile, Inca Roca continued to investigate what had happened to his son. He had his suspicions about the Ayamarcas and told his army to be ready to march. But Inca Roca would not go to war out of fear that his son would be killed if he were to attack the Ayamarca. For over a year, Yawar Huacac was hidden among the shepherds until a concubine of Toke Kapak informed her group, the Anta, of the hidden heir. 
The Anta, seeking to increase their standing among the Inca, took the opportunity to capture Yahua Huacac as he was running in a race amongst other young boys. The Ayamarca pursued the Anta, who had to turn and fight. The Ayamarca were badly defeated, and the Anta were able to escape with the young heir, Yahua Huacac. The Anta approached the Inca with word that they had found their missing heir. Inca Roca did not believe them at first until an Inca messenger saw the boy with his own eyes. Now convinced that his son wasn't alive, Inca Roca asked the Sinchi of the Anta what it was he wanted in exchange for the return of Yawa Wakak. The Sinchi answered that he wanted his people brought into the Inca sphere and for their people to be considered relatives of the Inca. Inca Roca conceded to the demands of the Anta and Yawa Wakak was finally brought home. Despite the adventure he had in his youth, Yawa Wakak's reign as Sapa Inca was relatively uneventful. It seems that the Inca did not enact any special policies or manage to expand the borders of his state. But this is not for a lack of trying by Yawa Wakak. He assembled an army to march with him south into Koyasuyu, as a group in the region was gaining power and had assembled a force to march against the Inca. However, several captains from the Kandasuyu region conspired to thwart the Inca plans, for they feared that if Yawa Wakak was victorious, he would return to Cusco thirsty for subjugating more and more people. After a feast and celebration where many people were quite drunk, the captains from Kandasuyu and their men struck. In pools of their own blood, Inca guards fell before the attackers. Yawa Wakak, dumbfounded by what was happening around him, ran to seek safety in a nearby temple. But his efforts proved useless as the men from Kandasuyu fell upon him and killed him. It was only thanks to the heavens opening up that the city of Cusco was not sacked. Thunder, lightning, and rain poured down upon the city. Having killed not only Yawa Wakak, but many of his men and several of his wives as well, the traders declared their work done and marched back west into Kandasuyu. With the Sapa Inca dead, the Inca were on the verge of another succession crisis. However, the prominent lords met and discussed the situation. Out of this meeting, the lords were able to come to an agreement as to who should don the fringe. Their choice was Hatun Tupac Inca, a son of the deceased Yawa Wakak. And this is where we will end for today. If you feel like I covered these rulers a bit quick, I understand. However, know that there isn't a lot in the sources for many of these early rulers, and I will explain why in a future episode. In part two, we will see the Inca really gather their strength, and they will need it. Remember the Chanka, the group Inca Roca raided and subdued? Well, they will make a return, and Cusco will need a leader to emerge in order to save it from certain destruction.